0: Let's turn to Ephesians chapter 6. And as I mentioned, this is the last week walking us through Paul's letter to the church at Ephesus. But before we look at this last section we're going to focus on today, let me give you a a big picture view of what Paul's flow of thought has been through this letter so you see what he's up to in this last section, how this last section fits into the overall letter. So, starting in chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. Paul introduces himself as the author of this letter, and then powerful section, chapter 1, verse 3, all the way through to the end of chapter 3, which I would encourage you to study closely, Paul tells them that God has blessed us, and that's not just the believers in Ephesus, this is Grace Church too, right? God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in Jesus Christ. Massive list of blessings, elected. Chosen, predestined, redeemed, forgiven, inheritance, down payment, the list just goes on and on. And because of these blessings we have in Christ, we can so shine with Jesus' glory that the people around us in Ephesus or Abu Dhabi see, and even more people beyond Ephesus and Abu Dhabi can see. So that's what Paul is up to in chapter 1, verse 3 through the end of chapter 3. So then starting in chapter 4, verse 1, he tells us how we as a church, how they as a church, we as a church, can shine with Jesus' glory. One way, by building up the church, walking in love, forgiving each other, living in unity together. How are we doing as a church in that? That will display Jesus' glory to Abu Dhabi. Then chapter 5, verse 3 to 21, by showing Jesus to lost people, not sinning, but shining with the light of Jesus. That's chapter 5 verse 3 to 21. Then in chapter 5, verses 22 to 33, we can display Jesus' glory by husbands sacrificially loving and leading our wives, and by wives respectfully following the lead of your husbands, marriage. Then in chapter 6, 1 through 4, by children, young people, obeying your parents, and parents training your Young people, your children, that'll display Jesus' glory. Chapter 6, 5 through 9, bond servants honoring their masters, masters doing good for bond servants, all of this for the sake of Jesus Christ. That'll display His glory as well. And then, last week, we started this section, which starts in verse 10 of chapter 6, by fighting against Satan's schemes, Satan's temptations, by putting on the whole armor of God, and by praying for God to empower that armor so we can resist the temptations that come our way. Then, the final section, final, final, chapter 6, 21 through 24, Paul closes his letter with some final remarks, which we'll get to in a moment. So, that brings us to this week's passage. We're going to start in chapter 6, verse 18 and go through 24, but let me just give you a quick review about the spiritual armor because this passage continues to talk about that. Remember last week? We saw that Paul says, when we battle sin, we're actually battling supernatural powers, more strong, more powerful than we are in ourselves, which means we cannot fight in our own power. We need God's power. And to access God's power, God gives us six spiritual weapons, pieces of armor. Here's what they are. First of all, verse 14, of chapter 6, the belt of truth. It means studying and learning and being filled with the Word of God. Also in verse 14, the breastplate of righteousness. So the way we overcome Satan's accusations of guilt is not by listing off how obedient and righteous we've been lately. It's by putting our trust in Jesus Christ and understanding that because of his sinless life and Sacrificial death, we are clothed with His perfect righteousness. And every accusation that comes from Satan will just bounce right off that breastplate of Jesus' righteousness. Verse 15, put on the shoes of the gospel of peace. As you head into each day, we trust. Because of Jesus paying for my sins, God has planned every event in my day and my future, the trials and the good things, to bring him the most glory, which will bring us the greatest joy. When you walk into a day with those shoes on, you're gonna be at peace no matter what happens. And there's the shield of faith. We trust God's promises from His Word that whatever flaming darts come our way, those promises can extinguish those flaming darts. That's the shield of faith. The helmet of salvation, which is the hope of salvation. We fill our hearts with the hope, the joy, the love that we're going to experience when we are standing before Jesus Christ face to face in heaven. And then finally, the sword of the Spirit attacking specific temptations with the truth of God's Word. So that's chapter 6, 10 through 17. But notice that verse 17 ends with a comma and not a period. So Paul's been talking about put on this this piece of armor, this piece of armor, this piece of armor, this piece of armor... And then there's a comma, which means that in verse 18, Paul is continuing to talk about the armor of God. So look at what Paul is saying. Start with verse 17 to get the flow of thought. Let's read verses 17 through 20. Paul says, take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, comma, continuing the same thought about spiritual armor, praying at all times in the Spirit. And notice those first words in verse 18. Praying at all times in the Spirit. We are always to pray in the Spirit. Now, what does that mean? Some Bible teachers who love Jesus and love the Word of God teach that praying in the Spirit means praying in tongues, the gift of tongues. And one of the reasons is because Paul uses the phrase praying In the Spirit, in 1 Corinthians 14, so they think praying with the Spirit, praying in the Spirit means the same thing. Um, Let me explain to you why I don't think this is praying in tongues. Uh, The gift of tongues is a beautiful gift God gives to believers, where you are enabled to pray in a language you've never learned, and God builds up your faith through that and works powerfully. Gifts of tongues is a wonderful gift, not more wonderful than any other gift. We like to say here at Grace that you can be just as filled with the Spirit and never speak in tongues as somebody who does speak in tongues. Let's just be clear on that, okay? But I don't think this is talking about speaking in tongues because if verse 18 is talking about speaking in tongues, understand what Paul is saying. He's commanding all of us to pray in tongues all the time. You see that? If praying in the Spirit means praying in tongues and he's calling all of us to pray all the time in tongues but that can't be what Paul is saying one reason is he teaches very clearly that not everybody has that gift look at first Corinthians chapter 12 verses 29 and 30 here Paul asks a list of questions and in the Greek you can put a word in that shows that every question has a no answer and that's what's going on here so are all apostles what is the answer no that's easy are all prophets? The answer? No. Are all teachers? What's the answer? No. Do all work miracles? No. Do all possess gifts of healings? No. Do all speak with tongues? No. Do all interpret? No. So Paul can't be calling every believer to pray in tongues because not every believer has that gift. Is that clear? Okay. One other point is in 1 Corinthians 14, 14-15, Paul says that he himself prays in tongues sometimes And doesn't pray in tongues sometimes. But if he's calling all of us to pray in tongues all the time, then he'd be disobeying what he's telling us in Ephesians chapter 6. Look what he says in 1 Corinthians 14, 14 and 15. If I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. So what am I to do? I will pray with my spirit sometimes, but I will pray with my mind also at other times. I will sing praise with my spirit in tongues sometimes, but I will sing with my mind also at other times. So, back to chapter 6, verse 18. When Paul says praying at all times in the Spirit, he can't mean praying in tongues. So, what does he mean? I think he means praying in dependence on the Holy Spirit. That's what we are all to do all the time whenever we pray. Pray in dependence on the Holy Spirit. The truth is we in ourselves can never pray apart from God's work in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit who moves us to cry, Abba, Father, Paul says in Galatians chapter four, verse eight. And so when you pray, depend upon the Holy Spirit to help you pray. Depend upon the Holy Spirit to keep you focused as you pray. Anybody have trouble focusing as you pray? I totally do. Depend upon the Holy Spirit. Keep me focused. Depend upon the Holy Spirit to strengthen your your faith as you pray, to help you know how to pray. Now, I find this super encouraging because usually when I want to give a chunk of time to prayer, I'm not feeling it. I'm not feeling very spiritual, not feeling very close to God. My mind's distracted, preoccupied, and I find it so encouraging to think it's the Holy Spirit who will help me to pray right now. And so I'll usually start by praying for my prayer time. Okay? I'd rather be doing something else. I'm feeling busy about this. I've got to get this done. Help me not be distracted. I'm feeling far from you, strengthen my faith, give me more zeal for your glory, help me understand that you love to have us pray, you love to answer prayer, so I'll pray and say, by the Spirit, help me to pray, and I would strongly encourage you to do that, and then as you're praying, if you find your mind wandering, just say, oh, Lord, forgive me, my mind's wandering, I'm back, help me to stay focused, the Holy Spirit will help you to pray. The moment you think, I want to pray some, the Holy Spirit moves right in, and is just ready to help, ready to help you pray right there, what do you need, I'm ready to help, I'm here. Don't try to do it by yourself. He's ready to help. And so we pray at all times depending upon the Holy Spirit. Help me, strengthen me, guide me, fill me, lead me, meet me. And he will. So That's what Paul's calling us to do. Pray in the Spirit. Now, what's he calling us to pray for? Read verses 17 and 18 together. See if you agree with what I'm going to say here. Verse 17, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. Now, I already mentioned that there's a comma at the end of verse 17, but notice also, for those of you who are grammar kind of people, the word praying is a participle. This is very exciting, okay? Which means Paul's telling us The way you put on the spiritual armor, the way you rely on God's power with spiritual armor is by praying for God to empower that spiritual armor. So we put on this piece of armor, this piece of armor, this piece of armor by praying. So praying is a crucial part of put on the full armor of God. Part of that is praying. That's how we do it. So he's calling us, put on each piece of the armor with prayer. With prayer. And then throughout the day, wear each piece of the armor with prayer. With prayer. Now, why is prayer an important part of putting on the armor? Because apart from God's power, these pieces of armor do nothing. Here's how Matthew Henry put it. Matthew Henry is one of my heroes. He wrote a whole commentary on the Bible in the 1600s. I would highly recommend you read Matthew Henry, but here's what he says. Prayer must buckle on all the other parts of our Christian armor. So prayer has a crucial part for each piece. Okay, so now, here's the picture. Remember last week, Paul's talking about our wrestling against sin, like gladiator hand-to-hand to the death combat. So we're there in the gladiator ring. Whenever you're fighting against sin, there you are. You're in the ring, and in front of you are supernatural powers stronger than you are who want to destroy your faith. That's the setting. That's what, that's what we're facing. And Paul says, put on the armor. So you've got to put on the armor. But don't just put on the armor. Pray. Pray. Because as you pray, God will use that armor to thwart the plans of these demonic powers who want to destroy your faith. So we got on the belt of truth word of God, but we need to pray, Father, use your word now. As I preach it to myself, as I speak it, use your word to crush these temptations that are coming my way. We pray. Put on the breastplate of righteousness, but we need to pray. Ask God, Father, Help me trust the truth that by Jesus' perfect life and sacrificial death, I'm clothed with your righteousness, so none of Satan's accusations can stick. They're all going to bounce right off. Help me to see the beauty of Christ's sinless life and righteousness covering me. You pray for that, and God will work. See how that works? We put on the shoes of peace. but We need to pray that God will help us see that he's lovingly and wisely planned every event tomorrow, this afternoon, for the next decades to bring him the most glory, which will bring you the most joy so you can be completely at peace whatever happens. Good things, hard things. So you got to pray. Help me to believe that, Lord. Help me to see that that's your sovereign, beautiful, loving plan. We've got the shield of faith, but we need to pray. God, use your promises as I preach them to myself to extinguish Satan's flaming darts. We've got the helmet of the hope of salvation I need to pray, God, capture my heart afresh, so I love you, Jesus. And the thought of being with you forever captures my heart more than money, more than sexual pleasure, more than fame, that nothing else captures me like you, Jesus Christ. Help me to feel this in my heart. You pray that? Listen, I I promise you, God will always answer that prayer, yes. Whenever you go after him and ask him for that, he'll pour that out upon you. Then we have the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, But we need to pray, God, use your word to put these demonic powers to death. Use your word to destroy these temptations that they're bringing against me. So each piece of armor is buckled on with prayer. And so Paul wants us here to spend time praying for ourselves. Lord, strengthen me against sin. Strengthen me against temptation. Let your word be powerful in me. Fill me with hope in Christ so sin's pleasures don't tempt me. Help me not to sin. Let me ask you this question. How many minutes this past week did you spend praying that God would keep you from sinning? Do you regularly spend time, Father, help me not to sin today. Strengthen me against sin. Let your word empower me. Let your promises fill me. Do you do that? And see, we should do that. We see that in the Old Testament and the New Testament. Here's an example from the Old Testament. Psalm 141, verse 4. David prays. Do not let my heart incline to any evil. You may not have used those exact words, but what's David praying? Don't let me sin. Don't let me sin today, Father. Do you ever pray that way? But see, Jesus also tells us to pray that way in the Lord's Prayer. Remember? Matthew 6 13. We we are to pray, lead us not into temptation. Lord, keep me from temptation today. But if you allow temptation to come, deliver me from evil. Do you pray that regularly? Jesus wouldn't call us to pray that unless he wants us to pray that, and he wouldn't want us to pray that unless he would answer that prayer when we pray that. And so one of the most powerful ways we can conquer sin in our lives is by praying saying, God, help me. I once heard somebody say faith is spelled H-E-L-P. Help! Help me, Father. And he will. He'll move in. He will help you. He loves to help us. You're never supposed to fight these sins alone. That should be the big lesson we're getting from this passage. Demonic power is more powerful than me. Don't go into battle alone. Say, help. Where's the breastplate? Put on the helmet. Get the shoes of peace on, the shield of faith, the sword, the belt. Get them on. Help me. Empower these, Father. And he'll move in and help you. It's wrestling. It's not instant or quick, right? Remember, it's, it's wrestling. It's hand-to-hand gladiator-type combat to the death. So it's grappling. It's wrestling. But it's, Lord, help me. Help me. And he's giving me strength. We're making some... Pro- oh, 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 we're getting some strength again. You get the point. Okay, good. All right. Now, let me give you an example from Jim Elliott. Okay, Jim Elliott was a missionary to the Alka Indians in South America. Some of you know his whole story. He... These these unreached peoples, the Alk Indians, had never heard the gospel. Some oil engineers had gone to explore in their territory. The oil engineers were killed by them. And Jim Elliott wasn't burdened for oil. He was burdened for the gospel. And he and some other guys went, even though they knew that the previous people who'd gone in had been killed, they went, and at 29 years old, Jim Elliott was killed. And what a way to go. What a glorious way to go. Long story, they ended up coming to faith in Christ because they saw his witness. But anyway, here's what he wrote in his journal at 21 years of age. October 9th. I love the honesty of this. My love, my love for Christ is faint. My warmth, my zeal, my passion, practically nil. Do you feel that sometimes, church? Yes. Yes, we do. Okay, he did. Here's what he says. Oh, that I were not so empty-handed. Joy and peace can only come in believing. And that is all I can say to him tonight. And then he starts to pray. And he writes his prayer. Lord, I believe. I don't love. I don't feel. I don't understand. I can only believe. Cause my faith to be fruitful, great harvest, Lord. Produce in me, I pray. See what he's doing here? Help me. Help me. My heart is cold. My love for you is just nil. Help me, Father. Do you pray that way? Or when you're feeling like your love for Christ is nil, say, well, I'll just, you know, what's on TV? I'll feel better in the morning. Get something to eat. Help me feel better, whatever. Pray. And God will meet you. He will come. He will restore you. So we are to pray for God to work to help us conquer temptation. And when we do, He will. But that's not all. What else does Paul want us to pray for? Verse 18, read all of it. Praying at all times, in dependence on the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication, So we're praying for these pieces of armor. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. So see, at the beginning of verse 18, Paul says, Pray at all times in the Spirit that God will empower the weaponry so you can fight against sin. And Paul says, to that end, pray with alertness and perseverance for all the saints. In other words, pray for the saints in their battle against sin. So this isn't the only thing we pray for, other people about, but that's what Paul's main focus is here. Pray for your brothers and sisters in their battle against sin. Pray for yourself in your battle against sin. Pray for your brothers and sisters in their battle against sin. Now why? I mean, shouldn't they just be praying for themselves? They can pray for themselves, can't they? Yes. But God has ordained it so that our prayers will also bring even more of God's power to them in their battles against sin. This is life-changing to think about. I mean, just look around the room here. Look at each other. Your brother and your sister will receive even more power against sin as you pray for them. As you pray for them. Not because of how special we, the prayers, are, but because of how merciful and good God is. Because He loves to work through us as a body, praying for each other. So husbands, husbands, as you pray for your wife to have more power over sin, she will have more power over sin. That is a, it's a wonderfully good news, and it's a powerful weight of responsibility. Wives, as you pray for your husband to have more power over sin, your husband will have more power over sin. So it's a weighty responsibility. Parents, as you pray for your children to have more power over sin, your children Young people will have more power over sin. Young people, as you pray for your parents to have more power over sin, your parents will have more power over sin. As we pray for each other in our home groups, brothers and sisters in Christ, as we pray for each other to have more power over sin, your brothers and sisters, those in your home group, will have more power over sin. That's why we pray for them. And look at how Paul describes this prayer. Second half of verse 18. To that end, keep alert. With all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. So we need to keep alert. Now, if you've if you've prayed much, you know why Paul tells us to keep alert. Because it's not easy to keep alert in prayer, right? I mean, my, my mind starts to wander. And let me just give you two suggestions about keeping. Also, we start to get sleepy. Do you ever find yourself just all of a sudden really starting to feel sleepy when you're trying to pray? Two suggestions: um, pray out loud. Your, your, your mind can't wander when you're praying out loud. You'll, you'll, oh, what am I doing? And walk around. Uh, walk around your neighborhood. Walk around in your, in your home there. Walk around. It'll keep you awake. Um, but ask God. Keep me, keep me alert. And also keep alert by reminding yourself, more power is going to come to them as I pray for them. More power to fight against sin as I do this. That'll help motivate you. It'll help focus you. So keep alert. Pray with all perseverance. Why did he say that? Well, because prayer is hard work. Prayer is exhausting. Isn't it? Yes, it is. So when you start getting weary, persevere. Push yourself. We're at war here. Do soldiers ever push themselves in war? They push themselves. We are soldiers. Let's push ourselves and pray for our brothers and sisters. And then we should pray for all the saints, everybody, all the believers you know, everybody in your home group, especially those you're closest to. I thought of an illustration from the life of Martin Luther. Now, most of you know Martin Luther was one of the leaders of the Protestant Reformation in the 1500s. Powerful man of God, but but he knew what it was to fight sin. And he had an eight-day period where he was cooped up in a castle all by himself with no believers around, and he was fighting and struggling and losing his battle against sin, and he decides to write his friend Melanchthon a letter and listen to what Martin Luther says. He says to Melanchthon, I sit here at ease, hardened and unfeeling. Alas, praying little, grieving little for the church of God, burning rather in the fierce fires of my untamed flesh. It comes to this, I should be a fire in the spirit. In reality, I am a fire in the flesh with lust, laziness, idleness, sleepiness, It is perhaps because you have all ceased praying for me, that God has turned away from me. For the past eight days, I've written nothing, nor prayed, nor studied, partly from self-indulgence, partly from another vexatious handicap. I really cannot stand it any longer. Pray for me. I beg you. For in my seclusion here, I am submerged in sins. Martin Luther knew how important it was for believers to pray for each other to be strong against sin, which is why he says to Melanchthon, I beg you, pray for me. We need to pray for each other. Now, what could happen, Grace Church, here in Abu Dhabi, if we as a church community started to, with alertness and perseverance regularly, pray? God, strengthen George in his fight against sin. Strengthen Martha in her battle against sin. Strengthen Bill in his battle against sin. What if we started to pray for each other? What would happen? More of God's power would come. More resistance against temptation. Less sin. More shining with Jesus' glory. What could happen here in Abu Dhabi when we are committing to pray for each other along these lines? God, do this in our midst. The city would see more of Jesus' glory. The gospel would go out with more power. It would be a beautiful thing for Christ. I say we do it. Let's do this. So that's what Paul says about praying for others, but he's not done on the topic of prayer yet. Something else he wants prayer for. Look at what he says in verses 19 and 20. And also pray for me that words may be given to me and opening my mouth boldly, To proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Paul's asking prayer for two things. Pray that I have clear words to share the gospel, number one. And number two, pray that I'm bold in sharing the gospel. Now, why does Paul need prayer to be clear and to be bold in sharing the gospel? It's because left to himself, he wouldn't be clear, and he wouldn't be bold, right? Paul knows himself, pray that I'm clear, pray that I'm bold and not timid or fearful. And I would guess if we took a poll here, most of us would probably say, I have a hard time explaining the gospel to people, I'm not as clear as I'd like to be, and I'm not as bold as I'd like to be. I think that would probably cover pretty much all of us. So I've got an idea, Paul's got an idea. Let's pray for each other. Lord, make us more clear in our testimonies. And make us more bold in our testimonies. Remember the verse in Revelation? They, the believers, overcame him, the evil one, by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. We are living in a place where the evil one needs to be overcome. The lamb's blood's been shed. The the blood of the lamb is there, finished work of Christ. Now it's time for the word of our testimony. Lord, make us clear. That's why we work on our testimonies in our home groups. Make us clear in our words of testimony and make us bold in our words of testimony. Grace Church, what would happen in Abu Dhabi as we commit to praying for each other? Make us clear, Lord. Make us bold. We're not just here for our jobs. We're thankful for our jobs. Praise God for the jobs. But there's even bigger Issues of more momentous importance than our jobs, and that is eternities at stake. We are living amongst people who've never heard the gospel. Let's be clear. Let's be bold. And let's pray for each other to be clear and to be bold. What could God do this next month here during the summer in Abu Dhabi? Amazing things could take place. Let's pray for that. That brings us to the last paragraph of the letter. Closing remarks. So I read these and I said, Lord, what? Why does the Holy Spirit have Paul write these? And I saw four really encouraging truths. Let me just give them to you one, one at a time. First, love includes telling other people how you're doing. That might sound like a truth out of nowhere, but just hear me out here. Read verse 21 So that you also may know how I am and what I am doing, Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. Paul wants them to know how he's doing. Why? There's lots of reasons. So they can pray for him is maybe one reason. But I think the reason I want to focus on is because he loves them. Because he loves them, he wants a relationship with them. And to have a relationship with somebody, they need to know how you're doing. Right? That's relationship. So what does this mean? Some of you, I would guess, need to do better at letting other people know how you're doing. Some of you aren't good at that for whatever reasons. I would encourage you to to push yourself a little bit here. Husbands, share with your wife how you're doing. Wives, share with your husbands how you're doing. Parents, share with your children how you're doing. You don't need to go into all the details about work problems or whatever, but say, Billy, pray for, for your dad. I'm struggling about this. Share with your kids. Young people, share with your parents how you're doing. Home group people, share with your home group how you're doing. That's an aspect of love. It includes that. But then in verse 22, there's another aspect of love. Love includes encouraging others' hearts. Paul says, I've sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. I would guess others of us here need to work on encouraging other people's hearts more. And one of the easiest ways to encourage somebody else's heart is by asking them how they're doing. Do you have a habit of asking people, how are you doing? And then listening. And then maybe asking another question and listening some more. And asking some more and and listening some more. And and, and then not in a preachy way, but maybe just sharing a, a promise from God's word that might comfort, might strengthen, might encourage them. Are you a person who, when you walk into a room, you say, how are you doing? That should be our orientation. So husbands, take time each day to encourage your wife. Wife, take time each day to encourage your your husband. Parents, encourage your children. Children, encourage your parents. Home groups, let's encourage each other. Third truth, so encouraging. Peace, love, and faith come from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. That's in verse 23. Peace be to the brothers, and love with faith. And where does this peace, love, and faith come from? It comes from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, here's why this is encouraging. What do you do when you have no peace? Or when your faith is weak? Or when your love for Christ has grown cold? What do you do? The beautiful truth from this verse is that these come to you from God the Father, and the Lord Jesus. This is such good news. These these do not need to come from within yourself. These come as a gift from God the Father through the Lord Jesus Christ. And so when you find yourself lacking peace, love, and faith, which we all will find ourselves lacking from time to time, right? Open up God's Word. Kneel down by your bed. Sit down at your kitchen table with your Bible open and say, Father, I'm coming to you through Jesus I'm, I'm, I have no peace right now. I have no faith. I feel like I have little love for you. Help me and read the scriptures and pray over the scriptures and peace and love and faith will come to you from God the Father and the Lord Jesus. He will change your heart. This is just beautiful. You should never feel hopeless about the state of your heart because God's full of the peace, love and faith that you need. and He'll give it to you through Christ. Last point, understand that God's grace is yours because you love Christ. Verse 24, grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. I heard a Bible teacher once say that at the beginning of all of Paul's letters, he says, uh, grace to you, and at the end of all Paul's letters, he says, grace be with you. And the conclusion he drew from that, which I think is right, is that Paul is saying, as he starts to write, my goal in writing this letter is that grace would come to you. And he writes, 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 Lord, bring them grace as they read this. And then he ends up saying, okay, now, now may that grace be with you. Grace to you, grace be with you. And what verse 24 shows us, is that grace will be with all who love our Lord Jesus with love incorruptible. So Paul's aim in the intervening verses from verse 1 of chapter 1 to verse 24 of chapter 6 is that we would so clearly see Jesus that our love for Jesus would grow and be incorruptible. And then that grace will be with us. So that's what I want to leave us with as we put an end, bring an end to this series on Ephesians. We've seen Jesus Christ in his glory unveiled before us through whom God chose us to be holy and blameless in whom God predestined us for adoption in whom we have redemption freedom from our sin from sin's power we have forgiveness freedom from sin's guilt in whom we have an inheritance joy in Christ filling our hearts everlastingly forever. We have a down payment of that inheritance now. He's made us alive with Christ. The list goes on and on. In chapters 1 through 6, Paul has unveiled for us Jesus Christ. And when we see Jesus Christ, our love grows and it becomes incorruptible love, a love that can't be watered down, a love that can't be broken, a love that can't be divided, an incorruptible love for Christ. And as we read Ephesians, see Jesus, grow in our incorruptible love, we can be confident that God's grace is ours. God's forgiving grace, God's satisfying grace, God's guiding and providing and leading grace, God's comforting and strengthening grace, God's heart-filling grace is with us. And that's where Paul ends, grace be with all who've read this letter and through seeing Jesus Christ now, love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. Grace Church, see Jesus in the book of Ephesians, love him with love incorruptible, and then rest in and receive all the grace that God has for you through Christ. Lord, I pray for your power to take these words from today and the previous Fridays in Ephesians and that you would continue to reveal Christ to us, that we would see the glory, the beauty of Christ, that our love would rise, it would be incorruptible, And that as we love Christ, we would experience more and more of your grace. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.